everyone, it's Jules. Welcome to All Things Iceland. This episode, which comes after I took a little bit of a break, the one that was unexpected and unannounced, so I apologize for that. But my mom came into town and we had a lovely time, so I just kind of took some time to relax. And now I'm jumping back into it with this interview that I had with Saithor Brantoson. So he is originally from the United States, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit in the beginning when we start chatting that I did an episode with him maybe a year and a half ago, and I will have a link to that in the description box. And in this case, though, it was really helpful in a way for Saithor to break down his understanding of the Icelandic parliament. And I thought it was great because he, like myself, is from the United States and having, you know, been in Iceland, living in Iceland for quite a long time, has encountered still like so much that he's learning. And of course, he understands a lot more than me and has been like really delving into society. The other thing is that when I spoke with him, this was before elections took place on September 25th. And he was running for the Socialist Party. And he goes in a lot about socialism, Socialist Party here in Iceland, different ideas and beliefs that he has. And while some people who listen to this may or may not feel like they relate to it, I think it is still really interesting to get this perspective, mainly because I feel like at least the perception when we talk about Nordic countries, whether it's in the U.S. or other places that are not Nordic countries, it's often that there can be you know, this idea of what socialism is and thinking that countries like Iceland like fall is to a T, potentially. And that is not the case. <laughs> You'll definitely find that out. This episode, like where there are quite differences and, of course, even in comparisons to the U.S. and the U.S. system in regards to government, but also beliefs and how far the pendulum swings when it comes to, you know, socialist views or even just in government, like how conservatives here in Iceland would be viewed in the United States, for instance. So there's like really different parallels going on and ideas shared. And it was it was quite an extensive interview. I think this ends up being over two hours so lots that Scythor was really enthusiastic about sharing. And so I appreciate you know, him sharing. And we also wanted to allow for people to share their views. Scythor is not on social media. So what I would encourage you to do, whatever thoughts you have, as long as they're respectful, that you can share them at allthingsiceland.com forward slash Scythor politics <laughs> and you'll you'll see the episode with like his face on it and picture wise and also just you know the title of politics and socialism in Iceland where you can write in the comment section there whatever comments you have for Scythor whatever questions you have the election came and went and the results are in and there were some shocking results. One that I just want to share before going into this interview, because I was, yeah, I don't think most people were expecting this, but there were two recounts in regards to the voting and the ballots. And, 
in the in South Iceland specifically, there was one recount, which that ended up being the same. And then there was a recount in Northwest Iceland, which apparently had a miscount. So that was corrected. But the consequence of this correction was at first it was announced before any recounts were talked about that there would be a female-led majority in Althinki, in Icelandic parliament. But after the recount, it was actually that women lost the majority. And so Iceland didn't, wouldn't become like the first European country to have a female majority in parliament. So that was pretty disappointing to many people just because there was the buildup of like, oh yeah, this thing is happening. And then like, no, no, it isn't. Also, the Socialist Party, which Saithor is or was running for, did not receive any seats uh, in parliament. And so, yeah, and the Progressive Party were the big winners. So it was quite a lot. And I'll have a link also to the results in English in the show notes of this episode. So you can check them out and just see. But kind of the people or, or I should say parties that we're used to seeing here in Iceland are still have seats and individuals, you know, that people were hoping to be in, like some of the women have basically had to drop out because of this recount or miscount. So yeah, it's been quite an up and down cycle in terms of emotions for sure. But I'm just going to go ahead and Turn it over to the interview so you can hear what Scythoat has to say. And like I mentioned, like, you know, just be please be respectful. Everyone has their different beliefs and their thoughts. And I think hearing his perspective different than our own, as well as just getting a better idea about socialism and what that means for society might help to clear up any misconceptions about it. And also give some clarity and insight about what that might be in Iceland in a place where people already feel like, oh, it's already quite socialist. So um, I hope you enjoy. As always, I appreciate you listening. Welcome back to the All Things Iceland podcast. Thank you very much. And it's great to have Glad you. To be so here. Yeah, great to have you. And we're doing this virtually for people who might <laughs> not be aware just because I have a cold, I'm getting over one, thankfully, and I don't want to spread any germs. But Scythoid has been on the podcast in, I don't remember how long ago, it was like a year or something? Yeah, at it was least. at least a year. Yeah. Yeah. And during that episode, it was talking, we talked about like your story in terms of coming to Iceland, adjusting and living here. And there was so much really great insight there. So for individuals who are interested in hearing your backstory, I recommend checking that out. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But this is an episode about politics in Iceland because we are having, and this is Thor's idea, and I think it was really great to get some <laughs> insight there. We're having elections on Saturday, the 25th of September. And I say we, I'm not a citizen, so I can't vote, but, <laughs> and the country <laughs> is having this going on. And it's an important time for sure. And there's a stark difference in the parliament or the government here than maybe where most other people live, say like in the U.S., where many listeners are from who listen to this show. So Scythor is going to give us some insight there just in terms of who's, first of all, the parties, the main parties, including the party that he's running for to get into parliament. So fingers crossed for you and just the system in general. So take it away, Scythor. Sure. Thank you. 
we, I, I guess I should like really quickly break down how the Icelandic government works as I understand it. Or no, I'll go back even further than this. Why am I interested in politics? Yes. Yeah. So Definitely. I specifically left the United States because I did not like how that society was running. And I had a goal to move to a country that I thought had a more like cohesive or sustainable or in some way like better, quote unquote, that I wanted to live in. And I think I got really lucky with ending up in Iceland. Like this was not at all like a clever market mover <laughs> advantage investment. Like I was young and dumb. And uh, but I got real lucky. Government here, you have uh, or sorry, getting involved in politics. So like I've seen how the Icelandic society, I think one of the reasons I like it more is because of the political history, the way that people have voted, the way that people have pressured the government, the way that people have interacted with the society here seems to be like more attentive. If we think of society like a garden, it feels mm -hmm. like the Icelandic gardeners have been, you know, regularly mowing the lawn and taking out the weeds and like not perfect, but like the task seems like it's been attended to sort of. Whereas mm -hmm. I did not feel like my parents' generation or even mine or their parents' generation, I kind of felt like we're all collectively asleep at the wheel politically. Mm. So if that was my takeaway and I liked living in Iceland, I thought I have kind of a, also a responsibility to participate and to vote and to try and research the parties and to think about like, what are these parts that are better? And mm -hmm. um, most of them, are actually not things that I get to, that I personally take advantage of. So there are a lot of like very common underpinnings to the Icelandic society. We have universal health care. We have a pension system that with problems still keeps most of our elderly people in a like life of dignity after, mm -hmm. you know, their bodies or their minds fail. Right. Lots of improvement, but like comparing it to the U.S. system, I like this one. And we look at the way the disabled are treated, the way that um, gender discrimination, uh, rights for uh, sexual minorities, like just these things have really been enabled by the past and the history and the politics. And so I wanted to be part of that. So I, uh, I can't remember exactly how I got started in the Socialist Party. I think I saw an interview from Sanna Magdalena Dotter, mm -hmm. who is now the like current sitting socialist in Reykjavik City, and I voted for her in the election and like put her in in that thing. Not my vote personally. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but you were supporting the her. Voting time, <laughs> yeah, you can vote in uh, municipal elections as mm. a non-citizen. Mm -hmm. But to yeah. vote in this new federal or the higher the federal level, which is uh, uh, tomorrow. No, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. But there is early voting as well. Mm is yeah the uh, federal level you have to be a citizen and so now that i am a citizen of iceland as of 2013 i want to use this right and i have used it to vote in the previous elections and one of the things that really got me about sanna and made me want to look more at the socialist party is that she had a very clear promise before she got elected i am not going to form a coalition with the right-wing conservative parties. And this coalition is really important because since we have more than two parties, we have like eight plus, kind of like Bernie Sanders in 2020 magically faced 24 opponents after just three the previous time. Yeah. Uh, and so it's this kind of like flooded field. And um, the 
socialist party, when people vote, you vote for a party, not for mm -hmm. an individual. But the party will publish its list. It's, it's like ballot of seats one through, and I should really know this as I'm running, but more than 25. It's 32, <laughs> 63, it's a lot. But they have this way to where, so there's one list for Reykjavik, there's one list for like the outer areas, there's lists mm. for the various parts of the country, and then they kind of mash them together based on votes, which is very complicated also, but it's to make sure that like Reykjavik doesn't just get to decide everything because mm -hmm. we have the most people. Like that's not right. really fair. So this is a way to kind of like, dip. so you if you're seat one for Reykjavik and seat one for the Keflavik area, when it gets even together, you will probably end up both in there together because mm. you were, you know, first seat from both of those even though this person might have gotten a lot less votes than the mm -hmm. Reykjavik person in total. It's mm -hmm. to be like a collective percentage will. And then when these percentages are known, this party has 10%, this party has 10%, this party has 5%, they, they can go to the president or the president, There, you know, there's a process where the president gives a mandate to this group that is in the statistical majority when averaged together who is coming to me and wants to work together now you have the mandate to form a government and they have to try and like then go back into their rooms and it's the, those parties with those percentages going okay well if you give us the prime minister seat we'll give you finance minister if you give us welfare department we'll give you this mm -hmm. and then if they can all be in agreement they come back to the president and say here's our agreement, here's who are going to be in our seats. The president, you know, does a rain dance or stands yeah. <laughs> seat. I'm really not sure exactly, but he is who then, like, approves it, and right. that is now your government. The one we have now was the sixth attempt from the mm. previous one. So six wow. times a group came and said, okay, we want to throw our hat in the ring to form this. And the first one was, like, the obvious, like, 30 plus 20 plus 15 or whatever, and those three got to try it. But they couldn't come to an agreement. So then the next one might have been slightly less statistically good, but still over, you know, 50%. Now they get the opportunity to form a government. If they can't do it within their allotted time or they just can't come to an agreement, try again, try again, try mm -hmm. again, until you get a, a collective power structure that then becomes the government till the next election time. Right. And uh, so when Sanna from the Socialist Party got her seat in Reykjavik, she became what is called a floater. And a floater is just one, two people from a party by themselves. But if you went over with another group that's close to the majority and you add your percentage points to them, you mm -hmm. can now be that tiebreaker to give that group a chance to form the government. And you can often elicit promises like, I know I'm just one, but if I come over, you guys get to win. So I want you to pass my pet bill or I want you to put me mm. in the role of such and such. And then I'll come over to your group. So it's like backroom yeah, like dealing kind of pro quo. Or yeah. yeah. But it might it might actually be like, you know, we're both kind of in the same general lane. Mm -hmm. I can come and work with you, but I want this, you know, yeah. so it's, it, you know, it doesn't have to be cynical, but it. Yeah, well, it. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so Sanna said early, like, this is not something I'm going to do. I'm not going to form mm -hmm. these coalitions with a right wing party. 
Yeah. And and then she specifically shelf side flocking or is it any conservative? Well, that depends on who you uh, uh, I can't remember who exactly she said, but it was more than just the Independence Party. It was Shelfside Flocking plus, you know, because it is really the to where to put these parties on a spectrum depends Mm. on the person who is telling you where they are. That is true. Yeah. So like the kind of simplistic view is sometimes like, you know, oh, Republicans are right wing and Democrats are left wing and that's the whole spectrum. But like if you to introduce the Icelandic political parties, the Democrats slide back over to being very center or even center right in their politics, because here in Iceland or in other countries, we have like people who are much further and more aggressive on a political scale in how they would govern and what they would do and what they have accomplished in the past. And they're like, you know, further on the left on the, the on an objective spectrum. But this is one of the problems with the diffuse nature here, because the parties often can use what's called a rotating villain. Like, we would love to pass universal health care except for Lieberman, so what can we do? Mm-hmm. You know, or now it's cinema and mansion that there's just no party discipline to take care of, so it can kind of leave the glimmer and the gloss on the front people while someone on the side is getting a back scratch in order to be the big bad villain that's the reason why everything fails. Mm-hmm. And so the right-wing parties here, if anyone gets too tarnished, they can kind of jettison and will often take their fans with them. Mm-hmm. But then the old party can then somehow seem like they're reformed or they don't have that stink on them anymore. But for me, when I look at politics, I kind of look at like, what are they voting for? What mm-hmm. laws is their coalition passing? And so when I put them on there, I really consider our conservative parties, you know, just different stickers on the same tap. Mm-hmm. They do the exact same things. And I feel like our further over to the left side parties are also very like the same sticker on the same mm-hmm. thing. Okay. Like, you know, like they, they are not, I'm not saying they are bad, but I'm saying the way they want to operate the way that they think power works, the solutions that they want to go after are very, very ideologically constrained in a very narrow lane. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of the problems we have are much deeper. And I want to use like much stronger political solutions. And so that puts me much further on the left spectrum than Mm -hmm. many of these existing parties. So I feel like the Socialist Party, while I have lots of criticisms for the Socialist Party itself, the stated goals, the transition from having privately owned companies to having worker collectively owned companies, I think is one of the deepest base medicine we can inject into the societies we live in. I think the private ownership of land and IP and pharmaceuticals and collective groups of employees that you're allowed Mm. to steal from because you have a deed that says your daddy formed it in your drawer is like Mm. one of the reasons we're not working on climate change. We're not working on our homeless populations. We we have human rights violations in our uh, immigration uh, or our um, asylum seeker and refugee Mm. housing we have a lot of insecurity for our youth here and our uh, recently arrived. The housing is very unequally allocated. Mm-hmm. And whenever I look like deeper at these issues, I'm like, oh, look, it's capitalism again. It's mm-hmm. private ownership of all these stuff. Like this is, this is a problem. And so the Socialist Party has like a kind of lens 
that this private ownership moving over to a worker-owned ownership is like a very foundational, not like a side issue. And then those other things that I also really care about, like as a gay man, as an immigrant, mm-hmm. as someone with children, like, you know, all the different welfare systems or ways to make things better. Like, I think those things, not only will we also do them and pass laws that do those things, but like they are also deeply connected to this concept. Like, mm-hmm. because taking care of the weak fixing problems, building durable systems, like these really aren't compatible with profit incentive Mm. and like figuring out how to live a life of luxury while not doing any labor yourself, Mm -hmm. which is like the capital class. Like that's that's what they do. They own things for a job. And I just don't agree that's a job. (laughs) Right. And I think a lot, not maybe not a lot, but a decent amount of people might be surprised to hear that Iceland isn't a socialist country, considering meaning like in terms of at its core when it comes to government and like you're saying what you're saying. I think a lot of people already assume that that's yeah. what's happening mm-hmm. in Iceland. That's the preconceived yeah. ideas and, and even how it's put out in the media, especially international mm-hmm. media. Well, and this so. Was off- often talked about as almost like a goal of some of Mm -hmm. these, you know, Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn, Mm -hmm. random podcasters from Brooklyn, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the Nordic model. Not me though, because I'm not, you know. (laughs) The Nordic model is kind of seen as like aspirational because one, I do think it is better. So you can see like, oh, look at how much nicer and smoother things flow. Yeah. But do you know the concept six-minute abs? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I think social democracy is six-minute abs. It is the siren call of, like, or, or neoliberalism, like, soft-touch yeah. incrementalism, you know, this kind of, like, very, you know, there's so many ways to describe it. Mainstream left, Western left, like, Democratic Party line, uh, mm-hmm. current Labor Party line. Many of the, I call them diet left here in Iceland, like the diet left party. <laughs> uh, they have, yeah, I said before, they have this constraint, constrained level of thinking, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So the, and that assumption is, I think, because it's, well, one, the United States had McCarthyism and the red mm, skin. Yeah. So, like here in Iceland, I have met people who are still and always have been communists who mm-hmm. are my okay. elders. And that, I'm sure people have done that in America, but I didn't. Like, I never right. once met someone who said, I am a communist. And that is mm-hmm. what, how I would like for society to be arranged. Right. And, you know, they there are sitting professors where that is their political ideology. There are journalists here in Iceland where that is their political ideology. And I say that not because that's, like, the true answer, but, like, that is a way of looking at the world that has been allowed to be discussed here in Iceland, and that was yeah. never allowed to be a topic within any kind of platform or important space in the United States, at least where yeah. I was raised. Yeah, this no, was, communism is the enemy in essence. This was, yeah, so. off limits, and they were very yeah. successful in the U.S. So anything where, like, the state or even the society comes in and goes, no, no, there are limits to how far we will let the rapacious capitalism will go because of our concern for human rights— and mm-hmm. some people go, and any of that becomes then like, you know, the commie pinko, crazy hippie stuff. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, it's it's just a t- a little bit further. Like, 
it, there's, there's some compassion here. Wow. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah. So that, thank you for just kind of giving that overview. And how receptive, though, are Icelanders to the Socialist Party or the idea of socialism? Because it seems like socialism is growing because there's no sitting person in parliament now, right? That's part of the Socialist not Party. Not at the federal level. That's right. Right. Yeah. Not and, the national. Yes, exactly. So, but it's, as but, the polls yes. were the last I saw, there mm-hmm. would be, which is not that recent. I should also be better at looking at those. <laughs> the first step you get, you either get zero seats in parliament or you get mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. And then I think five. So it's like not just one and then two and then three. You get three. Right. Okay. But in addition to the three, you also get salaries for three additional employees back mm. at the party headquarters. Okay. And I don't know if it then scales one to one. Like if you get 15 seats, you get 15 people's salaries, but you get more than three. And mm. then you also get a pension, a stipend each month from the state. And the first step is five million kroner a month. Wow. And so you then, this is what, like, getting money out of politics the Nordic way is yeah. is because you supposedly are not getting lots of private money to boost you. Mm-hmm. This should be the money that the state gives you after the previous uh, elections, like, you know, supposed measurement of the people's will. Here's how much the political parties get to do as a project. But mm-hmm. how they allocate that monthly money and what they task those employees back at the office is up to the party. So if you want to just run phone banks all day long and use your money to like keep people at it all the time, you can do that. If you want, like I suggested, to like pay for a babysitter all day long that people can just duck in, no charge, yeah. a food, like a, a cook all day long, food, no charge, come in and eat, nice. um, no tourist, no, <laughs> actual actual people who need food um, no, <laughs> and um uh, but no means testing i'm just being silly uh and uh you know some something like that a smith that someone could call and send out mm. like i think you shouldn't just talk about what you're going to do mm-hmm. you should have already like demonstrated some of that the previous times you had any say or power Because we live in a world of snakes and liars and charlatans Mm -hmm. and and like the the level of technology for beguilement is like mind blowing. You know, Mm -hmm. you can really not even know when you're talking to a real person, when you're interacting with reality, like what level you're being manipulated. Like when you Mm -hmm. go to a McDonald's or you go through uh, any kind of a fast food chain or a grocery store you are facing a room full of people with marketing degrees, which is essentially psychological manipulation that you come in contact with every day, all day long. And this is affecting our psyche. This is designed to create irrational desire for luxury products. A lot of the bigotries in life revolve around like commodifying scarcity and and Mm -hmm. rare features, which are based on luck, not human worth. And I think these are really like sicknesses and so in Iceland, while we have much more like strengthened commons from mm-hmm. our labor, labor struggles, the capital class is trying to, you know, cast spells on us that these are not needed or, you know, don't pay attention while we're cutting out all the foundation from it. 
And then the opposition is never like rising to the level to actually educate people what's happening, stop it, reverse it, like invest in these important things. Mm -hmm. And the whole time this is happening, it's really all advertising. Because, for example, in this election season, I've seen YouTube uh, advertisements. Mm -hmm. single a lot. Thing. I yes. quit Facebook and have no Twitter. And so I use WhatsApp to talk to friends, email, and that's it. Okay. That makes sense why I have not seen you on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I, I just thought it was toxic. So I just, you yeah. know, all around. So I just decided to, to go without. And, um, and, I, and, and I was actually asked recently by someone who uh, is part of the Socialist Party, who uses Facebook a lot for the project of trying to get people to think about socialism, vote for the Socialist Party, this kind of thing. He asked me, don't you feel disconnected from mm. society without Facebook? And I was like, how long do you have? <laughs> because I was like, yeah, the answer is yes. But that is the point, because this connection from social media was like pornography. It does mm. not feel, fill the deep need for human connection. It diffuses us. It allows us to live in bubbles. It allows these snakes and charlatans to put sponsored advertisement that we don't even know if it's real in our face. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it sponsors and influencers and what's even real when it's a real person anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. What and, about uh, getting, like, but, but I guess in, in terms of getting in touch with the community that does use this, though. So how has that been for you in terms of just even being visible so people know to vote for you or, you know, see your face or whatever else? Well, here's the thing. I wasn't. And um, and so my invo I, I wasn't visible. I wasn't really in front of people. Um, mm -hmm. I did. Um, so my initial contribution was I came and I helped build the Socialist Party headquarters. We okay. got we rented a space finally with can't remember if it's donation money or if we did get like some kind of grant from the government to help form. But we got a space to have as an office. But it it was still outfitted to be a tourist facing uh like selling tours space mm. you know it mm -hmm. had like desk pebble floor no meeting rooms no no movie uh, uh podcasting like media room anything like yeah. this no kitchen and so we had to go in and because we didn't have lots of money we the members showed up and we took away you know i jackhammered the pebble floor off the <laughs> ground i helped build some of the meeting rooms i mounted the doors uh, the, and, and I did the least work of the five of us. Wow. You know, there was like five core members and I was like the, the minor role contributor. But like I was like, this is something I can do. I can build. And if I want to be a part of this party as an outsider with my baby level Icelandic, like <laughs> if I can show that I am also useful in other ways, this is a way to be a part of this group. Right. And and I got to know people and and like. Part of it has just been to learn like how this works. So some mm -hmm. of these things I'm telling you, I only learned because I got involved and showed up to these meetings and they would go, you know, now it is very difficult to get on the ballot as a new party. Mm. They cut the, the old parties benefit in the way that like the Democrat and Republican Party took away control of the debates from the right. Women's League of Voters in the 80s because they wanted to be able to lock out third parties so no one could ever hear, you know. Yeah, other people outside the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that same concept is here. It is good for the eight parties for there to be eight parties, not nine, not ten, not eleven. Mm. Then they would have to differentiate themselves either with new ideas or performance results. And 
So they made it difficult, in my opinion. And so we had to like, you know, I had to learn like how you get the signatures and do we accept it electronically and why not when we have mm -hmm. right skill, Ricky, you know, we can do everything. Yeah. With your uh, phone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, yeah, you know, hoops, jumping through hoops needlessly to make it more difficult. But it was a learning experience, but also part of why I got rid of the social media is because I feel like it robs me of the time that because I still feel the need for connection. I want, mm -hmm. I'm a, like an, an extrovert. I like meeting people. I like talking. So like Facebook and, and Twitter or Instagram or whatever your social media is, by removing it, it takes away an outlet, but the desire is still there. Mm -hmm. So what it has made me have to do is find real life uh, uh, spaces and people to have these same interactions. And, and I'm, it's still a project, but like the tiny successes I've had have been so much more like fulfilling and they felt like, like real human interaction in a way that Facebook and Twitter never really did. And I, I felt also to me, part of it was that these people I found via Facebook and Twitter were often much more similar to me, like in the mm. way they see the world, I would yeah. find and seek out like you know my tribe yeah but because they're like kind of out there in the world so diffuse i never would get to like hug them or like look at them in the face or break bread with them or get drunk right. with them like this was I mean, you can get drunk over zoom but <laughs> it's not yeah. the same um, <laughs> <laughs> day. Uh, but, you know, you know that so i you know this is also this has given me more time mm -hmm. and i feel like the time I've used it well, and this is also a learning period. Like we had to learn how to use Facebook, how to use Twitter and social media for those of us who are too old to have not been born into it. And like learning how to still be like a human in 2021 without these social media, I think is also a learning process. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm on that path, but I think it's like, at least for me, a healthy one. And my view of how to like, grow the idea of socialism or that that's that workers owning and being able to direct where they spend their daytime producing things or, or mm -hmm. you know working that to to spread that idea around or to break out of the concept that capitalism is like an invisible gravity behind us that that mm -hmm. we can't change it requires that personal level connection and for me i need to be in the room because when it goes electronic, I can really forget that these are not just ideas. There's still a person there. We don't want to be like rude or aggressive or upsetting. Like it has to be tone appropriate, What you know, whatever the interaction is. When you're in a room with a person, I find that so much more easy to remember their humanity, which I want to do. Because mm -hmm. I can get invested into a passion, into a topic, and, and be really enjoying the, the, the ideas and say something that can be really off-putting and anti-solidarity and like works totally against what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so like, for me, it's been really good to like bring things back into the real world where that like joy of being like in connection with another person can like remind me <laughs> of how to, you know, behave and treat and treat them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting for like, it's part of this discussion of like, we have politics, of course, and then, like what's happening in Iceland, but then also for your own personal growth and evolution in some way of like back to the basics of human interaction and 
for your party too. I mean, I don't I don't know if the other people in, in this party are taking a similar look at social media in the same way. No, I mean, you don't. No, they're, I, I, they're definitely hardcore on, on okay. <laughs> Yeah, I that's one of my criticisms would be that they are still trying to compete with people with money and we don't have any. So like right. I'm more of uh, an Abby Hoffman kind of guy. Like <laughs> yeah. I like the I want to like levitate the Pentagon and let the FDA know that I'm only going to levitate at 10 feet. So like it's all right. And like, you know, press reporters show up because what an exorcist. The Pentagon. <laughs> you know, if you just say I want to talk about the war is bad, they'd be like, uh-huh, news at 11. You know, so like we have to get creative, like, and what the one problem I have noticed, especially in the United States, but also here in Iceland, the people in 2021 who are like of firm belief in transitioning to like uh, worker owned means of production mm-hmm. are mostly old and and have had to like really harden themselves to survive in a very hostile world. Because even if we didn't have McCarthyism, United States influences the world. There's a lot of media that is consumed here. The reaction while more minor was still like, you know, kind of this dismissive fringe, you know, this was not the way of the world. This was a very American centric, in my opinion, of like how the society can be organized since the seventies and eighties here in Iceland. So this is like a, a group that I respect immensely because they have managed to like not be gaslit, gaslit for decades. Mm, mm. Like the mental resolve to, to like go through that is like, you know, respect for me. And uh, but I think in some ways, you know, this there's this maybe there needs to be some sublime or some out of the box thinking because. We are never going to compete, nor should we want to, a way to have like an, an Instagram influencer type of politics because this mm-hmm. is empty, this is easily destroyed, and there's no like legitimacy to it. It's not it's not real. And and so like this is going to be a difficult project. And the other reason I'm in is because Gunnar Smauri, who is like in the first seat of the first district, who's definitely getting in as of now, unless like mm-hmm. I don't know what happens between now and then. He would have to die, basically. Well, he's going to be in Parliament, and and the times when I get to be in uh, in a meeting with him and hear how he speaks about politics, I really respect him. And mm. I even sent him a text several months ago. I was having kind of like semi crisis of faith in terms of like how much time and belief I want to put into the project of transformational change because that's what this would represent we have mm-hmm. a lot of privately owned companies here in iceland this is what the basis of the elite and the stratification here is based on is the private ownership of these fishing quotas the uh right. chains of grocery stores the chains of hardware stores the 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 tourist industry like like without if you had to work for a living our society would go you know like overnight and uh the yeah, not not collapse like the the classes would it would right. equalize because yes. it's not a classless society anymore. Like, right. In in any way, this is also and that's only increasing the gap for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's getting very much like a U.S. model in that way. So. Yeah, they're I say they're doing a neoliberal speed run. You know, mm. we, they're like just like no, we're going through it at like lightning round, like the yeah. clock's ticking, and we got to get from here to like, you know 
laser turrets around the food stores in 10 years. So go, go, go. Privatize um, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a well, lot to, can, to take on. If, hmm. if you get involved in the... Sorry, I don't want to be condescending. That might come off like that. But like, if, if a... If oneself who lives in Iceland wants to really dive deep into the political undertakings that are going on, it's very hard for a cynic not to see like powerful people making plans and then executing them with their money and power. Mm-hmm. Like this is not random happenstance. And we sometimes get peaks behind the curtain. Like we got a recording. Right from a member now who is on the ballot for the Socialist Party, Baura, who -hmm. was in one of these wealthy bars where a bunch of parliamentarians were caught on audio talking the way that powerful, privileged people talk when they don't think anyone is paying attention. Yes. And they have totally gotten away with it. The law was Schrodinger's, you know, justice for me and none for (laughs) thee. And you got like this, like, but a real peek behind the curtain of how yeah. power works. This is how I, I believe that it works. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if I see that the vampires among us are being, like, dastardly and cunning and long-term in their planning, then mine needs to be two if I do not want to be one of their blood slaves. Yeah. You know, like, this is, it's, I think it's a society worth fighting for. And to do that, you have to, like, do your research and see mm-hmm. who is actually going to break it. Right. And this idea that it's foreigners or it's people who look different than you or it's women or it's sexual minorities getting rights or like any of these things, it's like six minute abs, no, no, no. <laughs> the people who are taking from your pension, who make the visit to the doctor always cost more, who make mm. fewer and fewer play school teachers looking after your children, these are native born. Icelandic men, sometimes women from very powerful families who have the backing of very powerful families. Like if we are doing a cost benefit danger analysis, Mm. I should be much more scared when an Icelandic looking man in a three piece suit crosses me in the street because that is who is likely to actually steal from me Mm. in my life in a way that I have felt not someone who is also working in a job that's just from another place, like looking for, a, a nice place to, you know, make a nest because that's what I did. And I think Iceland's right. a good place to make a nest. But, you know, like we have vampires here too. Yeah. And Baura, for instance, uh, I, I interviewed her about the cloister scandal. Okay. And so that was like, a, we talked for like two hours or something. And that's on the podcast as well. So if people are really interested in what happened there and her perspective and all the stress and what unfolded basically uh-huh. when she became public about it. I mean, that was really intense and still in her life now. I mean, she already has uh, been dealing with an autoimmune disease. So adding on top of that, being this person who's a whistleblower, mm-hmm. of course, has been really intense. But I think she's also running, right? Or she's she doing is. something. She's on the oh. ballot. And what yeah. I think is an interesting, like, about a intersection with, like, some of the problems. Because this advertising-based election series, like, I have, you know, I've, I have a very limited exposure as one person. But this election season has seemed to be all paid advertising. Mm-hmm. I have not seen very many of the people running, going and meeting with groups of people oh, and being like, what is your problem? What is your issue? What would you like to do? Or knocking on doors or talking to people. It seems much more like here is money to make a YouTube ad. 
Here mm-hmm. is money to get a Spotify ad. Here is money to get a Facebook ad or a bus wrap or yeah. one very cynical or thing. Billboard we got a lot of new bus stops installed in the downtown. Yes. And before the glass panes were even installed, the advertisement box yes. was filled with Independence Party posters. Yes. And how so would many. you even know when to put in the post like did h&m or not that i'm defending the capitalists but like did any of the other capitalists get a chance to have that box or was it the people who actually got to order the boxes mm-hmm. being installed and did that come from their money or did we pay for that mm-hmm. you know and some people might probably go, well, we got the public paid for it yeah because yeah. it's like oh we need the bus stop like you sure, need the sure, car because like, like there's so many bus stops here where you don't like across the street the one bus going in the opposite direction has a little house but then yours doesn't which i never understood why they do uh-huh. that it's just like yeah. does the person that going that direction good. deserve it that yeah. part is good more bus stops good but like yeah. it kind of it that's another one of those peaks into seeing mm-hmm. like how cynical and how much resources because I can't install a series of bus stops to put my picture on and make mm-hmm. sure that I am the first one and do a photo series and pay for the printing of them. That takes serious resources. And to mm-hmm. know to be the first one on it, to have them done right before the election season, like this indicates a level of cunning that I think mm-hmm. is present. And if I want to participate, I think it would be naive to think this is like crazy, you know, conspiracy level. Like this, is, I mm-hmm. think is pretty obvious. And if I want to somehow combat that level of, of like beguilement, I've got to like rise to the occasion too. And I don't have that kind of cash. Yeah. I mean, as you go out to Moso, for instance, so the gym that I go to, the Reebok gym over here, there is a big truck um, that has a flag on it for the Shaustai Slokarin, like the big D. And it waves almost like a pirate flag of conquer, you know, it's just like, we're here. Oh. <laughs> and, and, but I and it's really you, bizarre. I have done one level of outreach. So there okay. is one more, I guess you could call it social media. I don't know really, but there's an app that I use that is called Grinder. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I, I have Grindr. done a photo series and I meant to do more, but I've done at least two where I did thirst trap photos <laughs> that I put the Socialist Party logo in Photoshop as if it were a tattoo on my skin, knowing that the Thirsty Boys would look. And if that's what's about advertising, like, (laughs) I'm not above that. You know, this is what I'm using. I'm on the ballot. I already have pictures of myself up. Like, why not? include my you know this something radical so i did two of them and i had a few you know interesting interactions i had someone from a communist party telling me that communists hate homosexuals and i'm like sure lennon was the first guy to decriminalize homosexuality but interesting but on grinder say again but this is on grinder this person yes Yes. Okay. and uh i also had a few people who so in Iceland, one of the shorthands for advertising for a party is to have an X and then a letter. X, B, X, G, X, J. X, J is the Socialist Party. And what that is, the X represents the cross you're going to make on your ballot. Mm-hmm. And then the J is one of the ways we try to de-obfuscate the, the ballot. Because some places try to make the ballot harder to use and read. And we feel like not just writing socialist party, which should be obvious, 
you, know, right. you might have the Dem Socialist Party and you might right. have the Social Democrats and, you know, all this, all this social something. So by having like a very concrete on all the advertisement, Facebook, Instagram, bus wraps, flags, it says XJ, when you see on your ballot an empty square and then a J and then a hyphen and the Socialist Party, you know, this is the one I want to put the X in. Right. And so XJ was one of the other tattoos I like, you know, put, mm, put on my, okay. my body for that. That makes more sense some, now to me. I did do something Because like, I was like, why is Shal Slides Flocker didn't have a D? Like, what, what is this? I'm so confused. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Got it. So when you're registered, that's how you get them. And you can kind of tell how new the parties are, how old they are, based on how early in the alphabet their letter is. Mm, very interesting insights. Okay. And I mean, for, for instance, the Pirate Party, I remember when they made a splash onto the scene mm -hmm. uh, some years ago. And I'm just wondering about what's the differences? Like, if you think about some of the parties that are thought of as more left than, than the Socialist Party, for instance, right? Are they that much different that you're just like, no, I cannot get behind them? Or is there a possibility for these parties to somehow help each other out because it is like you're saying the inequality and it comes to i'm not saying they should be like paying for advertisements but just in general like why not being similarly on the same side or trying to build coalitions this way i'm just just trying to figure out like where do you meet and then where is it very obvious like no yeah you cannot be the same well i think if i ever actually get in parliament that will also be a learning process but mm -hmm. i am actually on the eighth seat for the um the the uh, southwestern area and okay. so this means that while now we're like seven eight percent of the poll we would need to be going like 30 percent ish for me to be mm. like it looks like i'm going to parliament you know okay so not it. gonna happen but um uh i probably have a much more militant line than the ones who will get in because i okay. think they are actually older and part of their wisdom is that they have some like tempering of the metal, like how to get along with, how to live with people who are ideologically different. And that's one thing I also am learning from them and going into this party from older people is to learn how this works. And also then there's the young socialists who are a younger generation than me. I went to the first parliamentary, or um, it's called a thing, like a uh, uh, like general meeting for the mm -hmm. socialist party right after the COVID pause disallowed it. And there were two people across the table from me that I'm like, are you even going to be old enough to vote? Like, you are <laughs> children. And I asked them in the coffee break, and they're like, I'm 18 already, and he will turn 18 a week before the election, so he can't. And, wow. and I was like, I just love it. I just love that you're here. That's all I want to say. <laughs> so awesome. like, But it really feels like there's a hole in the middle of 40-year-olds mm -hmm. Like everyone seems to be 55 plus or 25 or younger. Yeah. Except for Sana. I think she's 30 or 29 or something like that. She's under 30. She's she under is, 30. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was okay. to be a young socialist. I looked it up. Yeah. I was like, and I am just young at heart, not. Yeah. But what about these other parties? I mean, you're. So the pirates made their big. Them deal as i understood it is to increase as much as possible the democratic participation like the mm -hmm. process as it is now eliminate as many barriers to 
people having their say as possible on laws, mm. on the elections, on the parliament, electronic voting, like all that stuff. That was the part that made me go, hmm, that's, I like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it on the political spectrum, there's kind of like this ratchet point that like different variations of parties can very quickly just all come up against. And that is how companies are allowed to be organized. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a, having a private owner who does not show up during the day Mm -hmm. but collects the majority of the proceeds, or at least is in charge of directing them around, I see that as stealing mm -hmm. and abuse of other people, like criminal. I think this should be made criminalized, not like socialism alongside of capitalism. I think it is like a cancer. The goal is to excise this arrangement for me and why mm -hmm. I participate in the socialist project, because I think like cancer, it will come and infect the cells, and I, I view the history of the other uh, left-wing projects in Cuba, in East Berlin, in Yugoslavia, in the USSR. At all times, the capitalist countries have not just let them do their thing and sink or swim based on the ideology of their politics and leaders. There has mm. always been spycraft, violence, murder, torture, and subterfuge to ensure that the rival product fails. So we can't ever really know how much of the failure was just an unsustainability of the concept and the people, and how much was the CIA, because the mm. answer for the latter is almost never zero. You know, yeah. like when they are there and doing things, that's not democracy, that's not the people living there getting their say, and I'm just kind of strictly against that. Um, so these parties, uh, when they do not have a, like, you know, they'll say, I want to work on the environment, or I want to work on democracy and the barriers to exercising it, or I want to work on the rights of the disabled or people who are not equal in society, like women or, or queer people, this kind of thing. And But if they do not believe that the root cause is really directly related to this private ownership of industry, mm -hmm. then I don't think they're ever going to be able to fix it. So I right, think their intentions right. are good. And in passing a legislation, I would welcome working with someone like if we're going like more payment to kindergarten teachers so that yeah. and more payments to the schools so there can be more of them. I don't care what your party stripe is. Let's all sign it together and be happy that we're investing in our teaching system. But like if I'm thinking of who to endorse, who to mm -hmm. look at, who to vote for, I believe having a like sympathetic opinion about the structure that is capitalism allowing the private ownership of industry is a dead end for me politically i don't want to give you my energy best mm -hmm. of luck i hope you accomplish your goals with capitalism but i don't think it's possible so i'm going to be doing like my own personal projects yeah but the socialist party because they have this like strictly like one of these foundational problems is the private ownership of industry and part of our project is to move into worker owned worker controlled uh units of production that is a party i want to give my energy to i want to be a part of and if i were to ever be high enough on the list and we get enough votes that i get into parliament i would probably have to learn even more about like how to work with the other parties and like mm -hmm. who is just lying about what they want to do because right. th that answer is also not zero yeah so the socialist party party is pretty much the only one of everybody running that you feel like hits. we have had an actual communist party run before okay and i do not know if they have 
qualified for the ballot. So they're okay. there. And I considered voting for them the last time. And I ended up giving my vote to the left Greens, who mm -hmm. are one of these, what I consider now a diet left party. They mm -hmm. now have the prime ministership. Yeah, and that Katrin. seat went to Katrin yeah. Jakobsdottir, who was whom I wanted to vote for the left Greens in order to potentially mm -hmm. put into the prime ministership. Like that was my right. goal to put her right. in that position. Again, not with my vote personally. But yes, I wanted but to, you know, yeah. I understand. Give my civic power to that party because of her mainly. I didn't really know many of the other people. Got it. And, and now uh, you feel differently about, of course, the left greens. Well, I feel faked out. I don't I don't mm. think she I think in the same way that some people whom I agree with and myself have feel, felt disappointed with a kind of fake and switch from Obama that mm. that was Katrine. She talked a big talk during the election season and then. I feel like she spent the most of her time writing articles telling us who want more and a better society to pipe down. Mm. I want someone who would use their position to push for these improvements, to have them come from her desk, to have her echo them with her bully pulpit that she gets as the prime minister. And mm. if the conservative parties didn't go, want to go along, I wanted her to twist some arms. Yeah. And that is not the person she's turned out to be. And she's still the head of the left green parties. And mm -hmm. so I don't, or left green party. So I don't want to vote for, for the left greens because of that. But I also feel like my, if I were to say, okay, well, I'll look at something because, and this is uh, interesting. There was a political scientist who uh, was interviewed and was asked if someone voted left green last time and didn't like that, didn't like how Katrine and the party is going, who should they vote for this time? Who would be their natural pick? And I think he was being a party cheerleader and not actually giving a good analysis. And he said, oh, some thinking. And I'm like, I think that's the party you're in, my friend. And maybe you <laughs> would get into parliament if you guys want. So mm -hmm. I think you're doing your, you know, your advertising spiel now. But, uh, and I and he, he I, I like him a lot. He's a very gracious man. And we talked yeah. this out at his house over wine and, you know, very, very pleasant, uh, you know, to, to engage with as a, as a mind. But I don't think, and I told him, I said, I don't feel like if I were to vote for something king, or I didn't tell him this, but I'm saying this now to you, the pirates mm. or Flock Folksons or any of these others, I don't feel like I would get what is on the box. I mm. don't actually, it's not that I don't trust their commitment. I don't trust, I've seen inside their toolbox and I don't mm. think they have the right tool for it. And I and okay. I think that the socialists do, and that's why I want to vote for them, and that's why I wanted to like go in and be part of the party, like cooking for the other members, you know, making things, working on the media and the education and the outreach with my time and energy, because like that is a project that I think like ha has some potential for payoff, and I don't want to be like kind of tr taking, you know, the, the best that's on offer that might get voted in and, the, and like testing the win for what other people are going to vote for game theory and then making my choice. Like I want to pick someone whom I think would do a good job. And if it has to be a multi-election uh, cycle view, because w one of the people is also very likely to get a seat, told me that not we are not necessarily, or ne we won't actually be able to do much legislation with this mm. percentage. We can influence things, but our main strength, and I agree with this, 
is that whenever we are discussing an issue at the national level, we will also be able to opine as members of the parliament. We get our time at the microphone. We can call press announcements. If we have something to say, it will get put in the newspaper if we are butting heads with someone else. And when that perspective of what I consider the radical left is not part of the discussion, you never get to hear those ideas. And sometimes, all the time, I think they're the best, you know? So like, I think they are being deliberately kept out of the conversation. And mm -hmm. by getting even three parliamentary seats, there will be ample opportunity for goodness Maori and several others to stand up and go, we could also consider just like literally building houses if we have a glut of mm. homeless. Like that is within our capability as a government. Why don't we talk about that? Like what are the pros and cons of doing that? And right. then no one can say it's not being talked about or discussed or pushed. The discussion is not constrained to how big the tax subsidies to private developers should be, you know, and how free the land should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's well, good luck, I'll just say, in terms of the Socialist Party in general, not that you necessarily will be sitting in parliament. But uh, it is interesting, too. I think I had a interview with Nicole Lee Mosti, who ended up going to Parliament. I don't remember what party she was in, but one of her sentiments I think was really fascinating had to do with as a foreigner. So even though you will not be in Parliament, but you're still part of this party who might have seats and will be representing whatever else, that she felt like she, had, she faced a lot of criticism as a person who's not from Iceland, you know, foreign born. And do you feel like there is this still kind of reaction of like foreigners who want to run for office uh, or one for parliamentary positions or something like that in Iceland. Do you get that same kind of sense? I'm just kind of curious in terms of like the political landscape and you see some people who are of foreign origin, you know, living in Iceland, citizens, whatever, who are on the ballot for some parties. And it's just like, is Iceland open to this? So for me personally, I face very little discrimination or xenophobia and and i understand that is because i resemble a, quite a bit the people who live here and like mm -hmm. i just have a lot of kind of societal privilege that i just got to like bring with me mm -hmm. and and that's just luck you know i didn't earn that and uh i have felt very welcome within the socialist party like they think that it is cool that someone mm -hmm. younger than them that someone of a different origin and especially if i can talk about their history and their power and what things have changed in the society mm -hmm. in Icelandic as someone who wasn't born here. Like when mm -hmm. and that, I've had that happen everywhere. Like if I can talk to an Australian about how their leftist prime minister was deposed by the CIA in the 80s, they go, an American who knows this? <laughs> it's like, come, come, we're brothers now. Kiss, kiss, we drink. <laughs> no, that's not how Australians welcome people, but so there's, you know, I felt a lot of acceptance. The The main thing that I have felt, and this is, I can never really as, totally ascribe this, if this is xenophobia, mm -hmm. if it is homophobia, or mm -hmm. if it is just that I rankle people. But I feel like there is sometimes a reaction to any kind of challenge or criticism of the Icelandic society, mm -hmm. that there's this inbuilt assumption that me as an outsider, quote unquote, could never like properly analyze it. 
And especially if I make it from the point of, I feel like we're going to end in the problem situations that America is in if we keep going down this mm. path. It's just considered like, well, now it's obviously not correct because there's no way that would happen. And I'm like, okay, right. well, it is possible that you're being naive. Like, I'm you know, not saying I'm totally right, but like we could entertain the notion um, that I know a duck when it quacks like they the ducks are native where i'm from like i know what rapacious capitalism does to a society that has a welfare system mm -hmm. <laughs> spoilers mm -hmm. dog dies <laughs> yeah so it's uh there's a little bit of that but um i really feel like icelanders are extremely like the willingness to participate and to know and to find out how things work is like um, like a get out of jail free card and maybe it only works mm. for me i don't know but it's, i really felt like much more acceptance um because i feel like i've tried to make it a project um and i'm sure my successes are enabled by again a lot of things i'm not responsible for but um i have felt very welcomed or as much as can be while starting over again you know in a, mm -hmm. in a, a society that i'm not from so how much is luck? How much is me? I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just want I think it is always interesting to hit on that because it is a totally different thing jumping into the society and then wanting to be in parliament. Right. And it's like, it's almost like it could be looked at as you're almost going too far. Like you mentioned with the criticism part, there is for sure. I think, and it almost has to be danced around and you're not that type of person who dances around topics. <laughs> so I think that's also very interesting too, but it's great that it, you have been accepted in terms of the knowledge that you continuously gain in mm -hmm. order to be able to come up with ideas and ways of wanting to improve society. And that and is a very good value to the society as well. And hopefully people <laughs> are continuously receptive to it. I am wondering, though, about, I guess in general, like, what do you want to leave with the people who are listening to this about? Like, like in terms people of listening. Li uh, okay. Yeah. So the, so, so the listeners of the podcast, like, what is your overall goal, I guess? Because, of course, we were talking about the Socialist Party and politics or whatever else. But, like, what impression do you want people to understand that sticks out to you a lot when it comes to politics in Iceland? Really good question. <laughs> Thank you. But just go back for one second. Okay. I want to be clear that I actually did not want to be in parliament. I mm. was asked if I wanted to be on the ballot for them. Mm. So I, this was also part of the learning process. Someone whom I met there, one of the other people making the, like smithing the new headquarters, said, mm. I think you should be on the list and I came home and asked August, I was like, what is the list? Good, bad, we like, we don't like? <laughs> and he goes, oh, that's, yeah, that's the ballot. That means like the person who could end up in parliament. I'm like, okay, but like, I understand seats. And I didn't even know yet there were election areas. I just, okay, new concept of list. And I was thinking like, okay, seats one, two, and three, very, very mm. important, very likely to be parliamentarians. What does, say, number 63 mean in actuality? Is it a technicality? Right. Is it like a you participated star? You know, like, how does this work? 
And it's that mismatch based on election. So I, I feel like I was placed in a seat where I'm definitely not going to get in because they wanted people to get in more who are now above me on the list. But like right. I went to an interview process to mm. do that. They would ask me, where do you want to be? Like, would you like to be lower? Would you like to be assured there's no possible way you could get in and you're just mm. helping us fill it? Or mm. are you saying you would actually show up and be in parliament if you got it? Interesting. So I have basically made my rule is when someone calls me from the party, say yes. Mm, so okay. I, I, I kind of toyed with how proactive do I want to be, but you might know I have a house project ongoing. Yes. I really felt like I <laughs> An was awesome stealing, house project. Yeah, yeah. Stealing from my family and my like future projects to give like too much time at this point in time. So I really mm. left it to them to ask. And then I would show up with baked goods or my hammer or you know whatever my time my name on the list uh, interview time but then to get to what do i want from your listeners i'm going to give a similar answer to the woman whose answer i really liked about uh getting these seats i think we do live in a time and i know i've said this before of beguilement of mass delusion like we have had a significant portion of the way things can be organized hidden from us lied about the ways other countries have instituted mm. and even the ones we know about have been fucked with by our mm. own governments and so like i think this is a really a global project because even i think if we did a great job transforming iceland we still could be targeted by an outside power and destroyed because we're never going to be able to ever support or even want to have any kind of violent defensive capabilities like i like that iceland is peaceful that i can move around without any kind of aggression response or display because i'm not an aggressive person with with fists <laughs> <laughs> and you know so i like that iceland is a very like you know uh, uh idea exchange based very diplomatic uh society i want to keep it that way and so like this can't be a local project to succeed mm -hmm. Like they're, you know, depending on the country, sometimes they're just completely off. Like, you know, mm. Sankara in, uh, was a Burkina Faso. Like France was just like, nope, not cutting the strings to our rich people, send in the death squads, you know, yeah. like, and that's happened in South America oftentimes. So like, I don't think Iceland's peculiarities would prevent that risk from being mm. possible were we to transform our society. So I think this is a global project. I've listened to and gotten inspiration from other people with this or similar or aligned mindsets around the world that are doing their projects. Some of them are already winning, <laughs> like, you know, and, and doing these transformations in their societies. And so this is like a group project time. And so like, I think especially if someone who is in the United States can hear these criticisms, my main takeaway is set your sights higher. Like, I'm sorry, the Dems are not it. Like, this is something where we have to show up ourselves. If we want our neighbors fed, we have to feed mm. them. If we want our children to be taken care of, we have to take them into our house and spend time with them. If we want our elderly to be taken, like, we have to do it ourselves because there mm -hmm. is not a big daddy Trump or Biden or mommy Kamala to come in to save us. Like we are going to have to do this ourselves over their protestations. 
mm-hmm. grassroots, all hands on deck. Like, and and some of the process is to try to de-obfuscate the lies, the propaganda, the beguilement, the like tribalism, the manipulation, because that is part of the Facebook and the Twitter and Instagram and all of this. If powerful people can pay to have things elevated, to create completely artificial people, whether they're real, but you're not sure, or whether they're actually Mm -hmm. just code on a computer, you know, this is coming into our political discussions, our ideas of seeing one another, how we should feel about the issues around us. And so like being able to do that much closer with someone who you have a genuine human connection with is uh, real. And that's also another reason that I try and be a little bit coarse. Like, I don't want to be off-putting, but I don't want to manicure myself into a clone because Mm. one of the ways that we can show that we are human is our, you know, uniqueness and the things about us. And like, you know, I I really don't have much respect for tradition if it is harmful. And Mm. so like, if that means, you know, saying like, look, we should really tackle this now uh, you know, that doesn't matter. It can be an uncomfortable topic. Like I'm willing to have those feelings. I'm willing to be the receptor of those kind of things, but I think it needs to be like a, we, we should be helping each other. And so if I have already experienced the Nordic model, quote unquote, and I watch mm-hmm. these services get cut and more expensive every year for their efficacy to go down, for the elderly care to go down, for the amount of foster kids to go up. If I see housing security going up, I'm like, it's not good enough. And when Mm -hmm. I see that the forces that are making those things happen to be private ownership of newspapers and magazines, for the rich people who benefit from this society to own them and institute their editorial control because they own those magazines or newspapers or whatever, to, to be able to give out reward positions to the children of the already wealthy to keep this status quo and hegemony going. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it is not something that is going to be easily unpacked. And if that has to be like, I don't know, just more radical, like I'm here to try some things. And, and yeah. I hope that uh, maybe the inspiration for what's appropriate to someone who's listening, because it's not going to be applicable. If I was in the United States, I would already have bought myself a gun. And I have no desire to do that here in Iceland. Mm. So I have like very different ideas of like how society is possibly to be affected, transformed, revolutionary tools, like concepts, what we're looking at, because the mm-hmm. material reality is very different. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, we we are we need to really start to see the the connections with the people we have directly around us in our life, whom we can really be meaningful to and derive meaning from mm-hmm. and to really kick out these mind vampires who are manipulating us. Like it's, it's, you know, I really like Audre Lorde's quote, you're not going to dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. And mm-hmm. Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg are literally billionaires. Like they yeah. are capitalists, like Facebook and social media are the tools of capital. So if that is the house I want to take apart, I don't think I'm going to do it on Facebook. I think I might be able to do it where Daddy Zuck isn't watching. Yeah. And also, I mean, when you think about just even what hits close to home regarding Facebook and the, like, advertisements of, in essence, delusion. Like, they were, you know, false information that was spread using these same platforms and then being, like, them having to backtrack and say, like, oh, 
yeah, by the way, that did happen. And this actually did affect people in the election and whatever else, because they were being bombarded with false information, you know, and it's just like, and well, it didn't, you didn't even notice that before, <laughs> you know, that there's like, who was buying up these ads? False to be objectionable, because right. if it's still manipulation that is only That's possible true. with lots of money, mm -hmm. that is not democracy, in my opinion. This yeah. is someone having a big fat thumb to put on the scale. And I don't want someone to be able to buy extra ballots, even if it's limited. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if someone can drill down and find out. So I think a really good example is the recent race with Nina Turner. And mm. what, what was the person who won? Chantal Brown, the carpet bagger? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I... <laughs> it's like it was Nina Turner's home district. Yeah. She was polling to win. But she has a mouth and knows how to use it. And I'm um, team Nina Turner and she should have won and she deserved to win. And she had yeah. that community support. And then the eye of Sauron, that is the Democratic Party headquarters, turned its laser gaze on there. Mm. And it spent two million dollars manipulating the white suburb of that district into thinking that Nina Turner is no friend of Israel. And I'm like, that's not technically fake news like she does yeah. stand with the palestinian people but that's good and not a negative and like to be able to go in and to find out like what is the group that we could apply money to and how much do we need to apply mm. and then do we use facebook to do it and then should we focus group it to be like that like i don't want mcdonald's to be able to do that to my children and i don't want the democratic party to be able to do it to my local race and i don't want the capitalists of Iceland to be able to do it in the newspapers and magazines either. We just had a magazine, Manleif, which mm -hmm. is owned by one of the Icelandic billionaires. I met him once, shook his hand when I was in a startup program. Um, very well-dressed. He has impeccable fashion. He better. <laughs> I'm sure he has a stylist yeah. or two. Or seamstress <laughs> in the back just making suits. And the, um, but he, he owns this newspaper and mm -hmm. the editor quit and wrote an article saying, I quit because he was asking me to write hit pieces against his economic enemies. Mm. And that's not why I went to journalism school. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking like, wow. So you're telling me the people who actually write the stories who went to journalist school, if they had control and say over their workplace, they would focus more towards, they would still make mistakes, but they would be mm -hmm. like much more interested, I think, in the objective truth and explain to us what's going on or their interpretation of objective truth. Yeah. Then when they have a rich boss like Jeff Bezos that can say, mm -hmm. smear Bernie Sanders, go. And there comes yeah. you know, 16 anti-Bernie pieces across the, Amazon, the, the Bezos owned media in 24 hours. I'm like, yeah. that's just, you know, propaganda on demand, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I have some journalist friends in the U.S. who are very stressed about this because, in essence, they feel like their soul is dying. <laughs> because whenever you go to work for a major publication, you are at the mercy of whatever the agenda is, in essence. And you often mm -hmm. feel like you're just a pawn in all of this. And I've I had think... a friend who's moved from many, many places just because it just kept feeling like I'm being asked to do things that I feel are unethical and that I just cannot continue like I need I need money right and I need work but at some point like you you do have to draw a boundary yeah that's why I left the video game industry I felt mm. like because the pursuit was profit 
and they knew that the main people who could buy video games and did were teenage, white, heterosexual, North American men, that then the games catered to that taste group in a very, like, uh, negative cycle. Mm. And I wanted to use my skill set for something just more creative, more, like, nurturing, thinking outside the box, tackling some problems. And so if I was only ever going to have my day job be tasked to milk children for money, I wanted to, like, (laughs) do something else. Yeah. But I think there's three really good examples of this. You toe the party line. So we've got Melissa Harris Perry, who mm-hmm. wouldn't stop talking about race and just didn't mm-hmm. have her contract renewed. Yep. Then you have Phil Donahue, who was one of the most watched uh, journalists mm-hmm. in the world, most name recognition ever, who wouldn't sell the Iraq war because he knew it was bullshit. Let go. And uh, Tommy Loren, who is a great oh, example. Yeah, that's like- because... <laughs> She went slightly off script on abortion rights. I can't yes. remember the details. That was so surprising, actually, that that little thing is what made it, like, got her off of Fox. Or... But that shows yeah. how empty these presences are. The, the, in all, across all of the media, I include every single person who has a show on Icelandic TV, and they are probably lovely people if you are their friends. But their job is to be a just like an actor or an actress. You give me a script and a message, and Mm -hmm. I can sell it. And the better they are at selling it to a demographic, the larger their contracts get. This is Mm -hmm. why Maddow, B, Oliver, The View, you know, all of these personalities are with their contracts because they can get people to tune in. They can be given things not to talk about. They can be given things to boost, and they will do it in a convincing way. Mm -hmm. And so, like, to me, this feels like manipulation. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to form a relationship with someone who can be paid to say whatever is beneficial to the person with the big pocketbook. I want to hear my news from my coworkers, my family, my Mm -hmm. husband, like my kids. Like, what is bothering you? And then is there a way maybe I can come in and help just directly? Like, Mm -hmm. I can come and lend you money. I can come help you move. I can cook for you dinner if you're having a bad day. Or maybe it's something that needs like legal changes or interference. Mm. But now I believe it's a real problem because I know you are real and you are not bullshitting me or I know you are real and I know you are just bullshitting Mm. me and you don't, like, this is not something that needs government response. You need to get off your ass or whatever, you know. But because I know them, I can, you know, make that judgment in a way that, like, when someone's being like, oh, we should definitely care about this now. I'm like, Mm. I think (laughs) you're being paid to say that and I don't know you, so I don't know if you are or not. Yeah, I think, too, just hitting on the fact of like being able to help each other, there's so much. I mean, this is more of a U.S. perspective, but like if you don't have the wealth that's been building up or the access to resources or whatever else, it's like there are plenty of people in your family who would want to help you, but they literally are struggling. You know what I mean? So it's like when we talk about the wealth gap, for instance, and if in Iceland this is continuously getting wider then you don't have your family potentially to go to if you just happen to be born into a family that doesn't have access to the money who maybe they had been like renting their whole lives and never had any like uh, asset in general they were able to accumulate just because they were on the poor end of the spectrum, right? It's just So it's like when you're saying about leveling things, it's not just okay, in the present, our circumstances, but to have a community that can actually help each other, if you don't have any of that to help 
that other mm-hmm. person, even though you have access to knowing their situation desperately needs it. And then it's like pandering to whoever is higher above you to hopefully have mercy on you. Yeah, yeah. Potentially. Or like if there's a program that they've, you know, decided to be like, oh, well, that's my project now that I want to at least give something to the community that I, or my constituents, you know. So there is this, I think, disconnect that people are starting to feel a lot more, um, even with like school fees. Like the, it's been really interesting to get this information because so much is talked about like Iceland being free in terms of education and whatever else. And now I'm hearing like people like, no, you can go into debt, go into school here. You can like, you know, and it's just this rhetoric that's coming up that when, you know, the carpet is in essence is slipping and you're starting to get the dirt that's been swept under oh. <laughs> and, and it's starting to cloud the room a little bit because you're like, oh, wait, I, I don't understand. How is this the case when we were, we've been told that it's very different? I have, I have a good example about that. I have a uh, union cut. So I'm also a union representative for Epling. Mm-hmm. I got my cool new vest <laughs> today and a tote bag. I was like, no, when I got he's, he's showing his day. sweater with Epling uh, <laughs> written on it, by the way, if people were listening. <laughs> you get, as a union representative, if you get elected, you have to get 50% plus of the people in your union at your workplace to say, mm. I want Scythor to be my union rep. And then you get to, mm. this is now a protected class. You will be mm. fired last and you cannot be fired for like union organizing. So like you're the person people can come to and be like, I'm too timid to do this, but you can't be fired. Mm. So like this, which is not true. We Iceland there just fired someone and it was illegal. And now we're wow. figuring out how we're going to proceed as a union. Wow. Okay. <laughs> not sitting down, let's just say. <laughs> uh, but you, once you are a union rep, uh, you can go to classes and they have negotiated in there. So we do not have in Iceland a minimum wage. Mm-hmm. You have collective agreements per area so epling mm-hmm. is the general one for the capital area that applies to you whether or you're not you got a contract but your minimum wage was negotiated by a union not by the parliament yeah, and and so we we negotiated one and the part of the contract says the union reps can't be fired the um the they have a right to go to school and on the days when they go to school it doesn't matter when their shift is they don't have to go to work, but still get paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the days of class are free, and the class information is described to be about union organizing. I find it a bit uh, heavy on the legalese when I don't have the utmost of trust in the legal system. You know, that's why I'm a union rep. <laughs> I want yeah. to change it. That's why I'm on the ballot. I want to change it. All three of my teachers was like, if you don't like this so much, you should get involved. And I said, well, it just so happens I'm on the ballot. I'm glad you said that. And not have anything to say to that. So I like that. <laughs> In this class, there was someone who gave us a lesson on bullying. And they said, mm. why do some people bully in a workplace? And she said, mm-hmm. one reason, she might have been telling on herself because she bullied me in the class, was that <laughs> older people can get stressed at a changing system. Mm. And then rather than dealing it with themselves, rather than working through it, they can lash out and like place the blame and bully someone else for mm-hmm. the stress that is coming in by a pursue, perceived change in the system. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I think a lot of people, probably a lot of your listeners probably know that like 
shit's not looking so great, like just collectively, generally, politically, environmentally around all kinds of stuff, housing-wise, all of this. And like to be able to, you know, work towards some kind of change, it requires a like, you know, a vision, some kind mm -hmm. of creativity, like what could this thing look like? And you don't even necessarily have a clear vision of what it looks like. I just want to get started on the process. It has been too long since the lawnmower has been pulled out and the grass has been mowed down and it is just time to start to get to work on doing these things. So I'm already, a, you know, I, I work at the foster home. I've taken in foster kids. I think this is like, there's a lot of good ways that we can do individual participation and that can like show how committed that we are when we have like other backgrounds to doing things. But then at some point, like I can only fill my house, but with so many children, like at some mm -hmm. point there needs to be <laughs> a foster home and like a, a child protective services and like other people who want to be foster parents, you know, like this, this kind of thing. And so, you know, this, the, the housing here is really a, also a similar pattern in the United Kingdom and in the U.S., where you have 80% uh, of the real estate in the U.K., is held in the 65 plus age demographic. And mm. so I don't know what the numbers are in the US or Iceland, but it is similar. Mm -hmm. So like if the lesson is that housing being owned by a very tiny demographic can be used for political manipulation, mm -hmm. the way they've done that in the UK and the way they've done that in the US is applicable to someone who wants to do politics in Iceland. And what these vampires have done, the spell ingredients is you always protect housing values. You make sure they go up every year for mm -hmm. the people who already have them. And then there is almost no limits to how much you can take out from the rest of society services because those housing secure people are the ones who already vote. They already vote for us. And as long mm -hmm. as we do not touch pen their pensions, not future people's pensions, and their housing slash, which is their pension, depending on how much housing is a financial vehicle as part of your retirement plan, more in the U.S., less here, but still part, that feeling that you are still even because your mm. house is worth a lot more, but school costs more, so you can just pay for your kid's education with your housing value. For you with a house, this feels like a, an okay compromise or trade. But if you're not remembering or have empathy for the people who don't already have a house, that mm -hmm. just means school costs more. Mm -hmm. And then what happens if all of them fall into poverty and precarity and you don't have any allies left? And then like in the UK and the US, they come for your housing even in that group. Mm -hmm. And that group is being preyed upon and having their housing bought and taken away by BlackRock and real estate hedge funds in the United States and in the UK. And so this is a devil's bargain because you end up without any allies to push back when the body of the country has cannibalized all of the fat and not to imply <laughs> this is the division of muscle and fat, but for the analogy, you yeah. know, all the fat and then it goes after the muscle. Like if this is not a healthy body, it is going to keep cannibalizing itself. And, mm -hmm. and I think this is a way to try to encourage people to be selfish. Like, mm. you have a house. You are sorted. I will build your fence taller so you do not have to extend your table. And I don't want or to... Or see what's happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or even see what's happening, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, yeah, to just be blind to it. Like, the amount of people who I know in the U.S., who live in cities that have rampant homelessness problems. Mm. And I bring up that concept as something that troubles me, that I think 
the government, the society, the people who live there should be more moved because housing is such a foundational human right that if there are people living in the woods or people you are stepping over to go get your coffee in the morning, it is yeah. time to act and insist on action from your government. This is, I don't know if you know about Breitholt, but Breitholt here in Iceland, this represents an achievement yes. of finally getting all Icelanders out of these brakhus, these like mm. domed longhouses that were holdovers from the British and American military. These were mm. perfunctory buildings. They, yes, keep the worst wind off, but they're often not insulated. These are not houses. And there were Icelanders living in these after mm. the military left or after it dwindled down. And this represented, as I've been explained, a national shame that citizens were mm. living in these huts. Like, yeah. we need houses. We can build them. Let's build them for these right. people. And the completion of Braveholt represented this the last Brakhus people have an apartment. Whether it's good or great or whatever, that's a different agreement. But, like, they okay. are not living in hovels anymore. No more yeah. Hoovervilles. And so, like, the difference between that or when we had our uh, last housing crisis, it was at the same time in the United States and here. And in the U.S., there was that trial balloon from Congress about, what about debt forgiveness? What do, you, what do we think about that? <laughs> cheer, no cheer? And Americans yeah. Money for people who didn't earn it? Never. I made every mortgage payment. Throw them into the woods. No sympathy. Yeah. And here in Iceland, we have the same debate like debt forgiveness. Mm. And there was a sleep in on the parliament. And maybe there were the same number of people sleeping in here as, as did that protest in the United States. Because obviously there are homelessness activists in right. the U.S. They just weren't listened to. But in, the, in Iceland, it seemed like this public sentiment to like, what would it be like to go from no sleeping bags in any doorway, anywhere in downtown, to everywhere you look, like you're in America. And mm. people were like, ooh, 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 no, no, no. Let's do the debt forgiveness, even if I paid all my bills on time. And it wasn't good enough. Lots of people left, left, lost their homes. I would have gone way mm. further. But like to me who lived through it, I'm like, these reactions are very different and they speak to a difference in history, how we have been spoken to, how we have insisted that our government respond when people start to live in the woods, when people don't have clean water or electricity or internet or roads or housing. Like these are things that if we find out someone else who lives near to us who could come into our physical space within our lifetime is without basics, I think this should move us. And not mm -hmm. just move us like, mm, that's sad, like, but like, you know, to actually <laughs> do Sign the petition. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, this has been a very lively, insightful discussion. I'm pretty sure we could talk for many more hours, but... Yeah, but there I has got, to be a time. I got a whole big box of wine. Yeah, he's got a box of wine. <laughs> these are called. Do you know what these are called in Icelandic? No. So it's called belia beanflasker. So belia is a cow's. Oven yeah. Because mm -hmm. it, when you're when it's empty, if you're like me and you don't want to leave any in the bag, you have to like take the bag out because clearly you can't keep wine in a cardboard box. There is a <laughs> mylar bag inside. And when it's clear, I always go up to my kids and like, look at the blood daddy has been drinking. <laughs> They're like, not true. 
That's why. <laughs> Your kids are too smart for this. <laughs> I was at a gallery and they had, it was an opening. So they had like a refreshments table, but it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And my, I took my kids. I was like, they were five at the time. I was like, take them to an art gallery, show them some culture, get them used to the concept of going and looking at pictures at the wall, you know, and maybe yeah. liking them. And, uh, and they saw the table with the cookies and the beer and the wine. And, and my son blurts out like, look, daddy, wine. <laughs> and I said, um, oh yeah, that's nice. And he was like, do you want some? Like yelling across the gallery space. Everyone else is like, oh, look at the, the pixels and the, the red balloon. And she's like, do you want wine, daddy? I was like, it's two. No, we drove here like, but thank you anyway. Very courteous. It's very sweet. <laughs> it's like, I'll just, dry, I'll just grab myself a cookie. <laughs> That's adorable. Okay, well, is there anything else you want to leave us with before we say, you know, thank you and... We'll, you know, maybe catch up another time. Yeah, I guess the last thing would be if if you're really interested in any of these concepts, like both how much trust should I put into more radical concepts, like let's say a Bernie Sanders or a Jeremy mm -hmm. Corbyn or a Gunnar Smalri, who would be our equivalent. They all have the same haircut, same general body build, complexion. <laughs> not not they like came AOC. From the same <laughs> Star Wars Hasbro, you know, plastic <laughs> box line. Love them. They're very similar physically. Uh, and, and or or if your question is more like maybe for too long, I have been uh, listening to someone who might not be quite a serious mm. thought or maybe the tools they're using aren't right. I found a lot of use of seeing what is the same across cultures. So watching how racism and xenophobia were expressed in the United States, in mm -hmm. Germany, where I also lived and here in Iceland, but against very different people. Like, the, like the, mm. the immigrant group in Iceland and in Germany and in the United States are very different. But mm -hmm. the rhetoric and the tools that have been used to keep them on the lower rungs of the societal ladder are literally identical on, in all three mm -hmm. countries. That you just find and replace the, the symbol, the party, the concept, the name of the cultural signifier, it is the same bullshit. And I'm like, but wait a second, this can't be true of Pakistanis and Turkish people and Spanish people. Like that, that's mm -hmm. not conceivable. But these right-wing parties could all be using a recycled script that is bullshit. Mm. Like that could be. And so like, you know, be finding out more how the rat fuckery in England to keep Jeremy Corbyn from being the prime minister and the rat fuckery in the United States to keep Bernie Sanders from being president are so similar. They look mm -hmm. like the same group of sociopaths rather than the two men made the exact same mistakes or had the same problems because right. the messages were different and appropriate for the markets. But both were propagated by private and, and heavily controlled media. Both benefited the ruling class who own everything. None of the problems in either society are getting better, despite the Labor Party and the Dems just promising it bothers them and they're going to get to it any day now. These similarities can help you like pierce the veil because some of them are very convincing because some of yeah. them believe it. Yeah, and when sure. they actually go from... Because the other thing I'll challenge American viewers to do 
is go look at early videos of Nancy Pelosi. Mm. He spits fire. I had to have a jaw reattachment surgery because I <laughs> listening to what Nancy Pelosi said when she was a starting politician, mm. like is amazing. And to think about the transition between that woman and someone who has twin $11,000 walk-in freezers to keep bespoke artisanal ice cream in what is night and day. Like, this is not the same person anymore. Very right. clear. And the things that transformed her were the things that might be transforming an AOC or a mm -hmm. Katrin or uh, anyone. Like, I think the similarities between these paths despite the separation of time and language and cultural signifiers, it helps us see through these spells of beguilement. And like, I really recommend, even if Iceland seems inconsequential and might be on a global scale, there are some similarities that can really like help lend clarity that, for, that definitely helped for me. So I highly recommend looking at you know, the ways, for example, we're also not meeting the Paris Accords. So we never left mm. it. We, we don't have anyone we can mock for being so dumb for leaving the Paris Accords. But just like the United States and Germany and every other country on Earth, we're not on target to meet the Paris Accords. And mm. it was even an uh, environmental minister put into place by the Independence Party, the right wing party, who was like, I know I'm not even really supposed to say this, but like we're literally not going to meet it, and it's Parliament that needs to do something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but isn't your party in control? So aren't you actually criticizing your party in a roundabout way? Wow, shit must be really fucked, like to be yeah. that kind of open about. So like, yeah, these because we use the same tools we learn from America, Iceland. I think is more like America than it is different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like looking at the difference between Virginia and California. Some people go, oh, no, they're totally different cultures. And now for me, I'm like, they are so similar. If you were to compare the cultural difference between, say, anywhere in America and anywhere in Italy, like that is a cultural difference. I feel like within at least white America, where I have moved around, these mm -hmm. are very homogenous cultures and white America has been the ones pulling the levers of power for decades. And so if there's a criticism to be made about the way the levers of power have been pulled, it's a criticism of white America and Iceland has not white Americans, but like it has a similar mindset. We've been influenced by the ice, by the Americans. They yeah. occupied us. We've had a lot of uh, interbreeding that's not the right word. Intermixing between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? People be fucking. And the, uh, but also the initial growth of the Icelandic economy came from the Marshall mm -hmm. Plan. Like yeah. post World War II, all the global economies had been bombed mm -hmm. and devastated. Russia had left 20, lost 29 million youth. Like, the only relatively untouched country who could manufacture shit was America, and they remade the world in their image, not to the benefit of all, in my opinion, but they also touched Iceland. And Iceland's culture and wealth and even the buildings that are here were literally built with American money, and that money came with strings attached, and mm. a lot of those strings were ideological. 
and we are still living with them. We live with American propaganda and and uh, movies and cinema that comes. Yeah, media. You know, it's true. You know, get CIA funding and free military vehicles. If you portray everything patriotic, that's why you have Spider-Man Two landing in front of a giant fifty-foot American flag, and you're like, you know, the NFL players standing now. Because when before they were in the locker room when the anthem played, that was because the CIA gave the professional sports leagues $300 million to increase their displays of patriotism so that Americans would be more in love with the flag and the concepts of American identity. And so now they're all out. And, and if one of them doesn't do the right rain dance, then they're out for, you know, for vague and very racist reasons. Um, the similarities of how they will play things here. If you look at how someone like Colin Kaepernick or Martin Luther King or Harvey Milk or um, Bernie Sanders, like how these people are described and maligned in the American media is very similar to how, for example, Gunnar Smaury or Solveig, the head of my union, is spoken mm -hmm. about when they even are acknowledged by the media. This is a very antagonistic and in a way that like you could kind of just if you if they had perfect language abilities, you could pick up someone from the New York Times and place them at Morgan Blanc. like MBL here mm -hmm. and take the person from MBL and move them over. And if they just magically had like the 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 English and the Icelandic swapped, they could totally do their jobs perfectly. Mm -hmm. There'd be no learning curve. It would be like get along with the people around you, echo their sentiment, don't do anything that would piss off the bosses or would threaten advertisers or sponsors, don't really challenge power or come up or push with new ideas. And if someone else does that, do not speak favorably about them unless you're given the go-ahead by mm. your boss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And if you do speak positively about them, or you won't stop speaking negatively about a problem, that's when your contract ends up magically not renewed. Mm -hmm. So you get a very ideologically consistent. And even I've noticed here, have you noticed this? If you open the newspaper and they'll put the picture of the author, do you ever think, I think I've seen that face before. And not in a, all Icelanders look the same way. But in a <laughs> way that I'm like, I think you resemble someone whose face I've seen a lot because they're also really rich and have a good job. Mm -hmm. And I think you're their child or their cousin. Yeah, it is. Or very closely related. And so you're not actually making an ideological argument that you really mm. believe in. You are making a financial argument that is beneficial to you. But when mm. I open this newspaper, this is supposed to be news. Like, mm -hmm. I do not want to hear you tell me how your uncle's cobalt mining gouge in Kvetigenthi is a good idea, actually, if you think about it. Like, it's woke, actually, you know. Like, no, 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 no. The fact yeah, that well, you I look do. like the prime minister is just, you know. Yeah. I do think, though, for some people, especially with protecting their means or their wealth, generational wealth or, or otherwise, that it does start to feel like their ideals get intertwined with this because it's like, I have to believe this to some degree, right? Because it's like protecting something that means your future. And also imagine your family who is this powerful entity disowning you. It's like, what identity do you have? Especially in this small community. <laughs> so it's like, so in some ways it's, I feel that there's a mix in there at times. And that's why some people really can believe that this is okay. Well, cha challenging identity is this like immense project. Like I was raised conservative 
in a very like homophobic, like I went to a private religious school. My mm. father is a minister. Mm. I went, yeah, the private religious school. I went to church three times a week, like all of my friends, all of my mentors. Like I had, uh, there were no gay people, no queer people present in any way. So like to then develop as a out and proud gay man who doesn't like carry PTSD and trauma. I mean, maybe I do, but <laughs> I like to fake it. You know, to be to just feel good about myself now as an adult yeah. has been a challenge to identity. Like, and what happens if I feel like I'm more of a smith and a craftsman than a lot of the gay people around me, but then I'm mm. also more of a parent than a lot of the gay people around me, but I'm still too queer to be in the parent spaces. And mm. when I'm at work, I have to like definitely not tell my jokes and, you know, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a code switching and learning new language, yeah. and like this identity thing, like it's a huge part. But I also think for those of us who cannot help it, like, okay, to make a really good gay analogy, do you know the comedian Margaret Cho? Yes, yes, I, I do. I love her so much. <laughs> like, I love her. If I had a uh, Harry Potter Patronus, it would either be Brianna Joy Gray or Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho. I, I would want two, and I could like summon them together, and they would be <laughs> everything in the universe. And uh, when she goes, you know, oh, I just can't stand these conservatives who who say, yeah, being gay is a choice. It's like, mm. have you ever met someone and you go, oh, sweetie, you didn't have any choice. No, no, no. You had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh so hard because I'm like, you know, some people clock me as gay, some not. But like, I have met people in my life that I'm like, no, 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 there's no hiding this. And, and in the process for someone who might be less effeminate or more less masculine, but like mm. somewhere in the medium to have a safe space in society required mm -hmm. those front runners who had that hardened skin or that that spark of life or that ability to withstand a harsh and unwelcoming environment like they mm -hmm. blazed the trail and so like for, for me to be able to just be like oh look at this highway like oh, this is pretty easy <laughs> and so like if there is a way i think also now the way we see politics not so much here in iceland but in the united states is very tribal very wrapped up in identity like mm -hmm. if you tell me a few things about yourself where you live your sexual orientation and what your job is i can tell you if you are red team or blue team mm -hmm. and it is very unlikely that you are going to have major criticisms for your team like your team is the good team you are a good person because you are in it and right. all of the problems of society are from that other team. And if they would just come over to your team, everything would be fine. And there's right. no self-criticism. There's no, because this then becomes the identity. I'm a good person because I am not other. And yeah. here with all these diffuse parties and much, I think, higher level of health and education and general, like, just civilization, it is not that tribalistic. But still, there is this identity. People vote the way their parents tell them mm. to their class interests and their job and where they exist in society is often very heavily intertwined. Like you can just plot their socioeconomic status and you can pretty and where they live and you can pretty much mm -hmm. figure what party they're going to vote for. Mm -hmm. And so like if we need to kind of like rock that boat, it might need to be the people who are kind of like a bit more secure in being in that off road, slightly less traveled path to, to like mm -hmm. show that it is possible that this is not crazy like this is 
You can be a gay man with a husband and a family and a house and a job and no shame. And that might have seemed unrealistic before, but it is possible. Like maybe not for everyone, but like it's a project worth pursuing. And mm -hmm. it's maybe not to totally possible to see like a future where the color of your skin or your gender or your parents' birthplace or your passport status like is going to be the major determining factor on are you poor and can you eat when you are a grown up? Because right. that is the path that we are on. Like you, the privilege is just getting more and more entrenched. And I am not like in this for a like selfish reason. I mean, I am because like our, our futures are entwined, but like in the immediate term, like I'm not going to benefit much from these policies. Like I, mm. I feel pretty sordid and secure in my life, but I see the people around me who I think are my equals Mm -hmm. And then they are being treated differently from society. And I'm like, why the fuck? But, you know, and I mm -hmm. look at why is this person with less housing security than me? And I mm -hmm. think they are my equal. And I'm like, oh, look, bigotry, misogyny, you know, like uh, these different things that are nothing this person can control, that are mm -hmm. failures of us as a collective to get a handle on. We need to work on this project. This is not fair. And I don't want my kid to be a victim of that. And I want my kid to be able to meet everyone else who had like the same secure egalitarian upbringing so that when they grow up, they can do projects together because we have a lot of work to do and projects mm -hmm. to do. If we want to have like breathable air, drinkable water, fish living in the oceans, trees growing that aren't on fire. Like these are kind of like very top level to do items that need some new eyes and some fresh ideas in the mix. And mm -hmm. so like, I think... Part of it is like imagining it, but also part of it is just being like, come with me. Like it is mm -hmm. possible, even if we don't know the final destination, we'll break out of these chains of containment that have been cast on you. Because most people I meet, they might have like a pessimistic response when we talk. But if mm. I say that I, I have some optimism or I have some belief or I have some kind of goal, and there is a connection between us. They will come out of their shell and they will they will tell me too. There is something they mm. want to do or accomplish or something they take joy in in life. And I'm like, those are the things we can like build on, encourage on, base our projects on. And like when I go into more radical spaces, like that's what we're talking about. Instead of mm -hmm. like, well, what kind of tax incentives could lower the rent for a family of three after they've worked in a marginalized community six months and put them in plaques of and I'm like, let's just apply South directly to the wound. <laughs> Figure out where the problems are coming from, who's doing them, change some laws. Like Iceland has the number one place to be a woman, like how many years running? Five, six? At least, yeah. Six years. I don't know. We, yeah, but it's a lot. <laughs> we have a law now, first and only in the world, that if you are being underpaid as a mm -hmm. woman, it is no longer your burden to find out and take it to court. Because right. when it is opt in, the people with privilege and insider knowledge and social nets take advantage of it first and foremost. And if they're right, go for it. But then the people who are atomized and don't speak the language and don't have a social safety net or free time or a car or anything else are the ones who lose out. And mm -hmm. oftentimes when we do these programs, that is who we were trying to help. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I got Biden bucks. I got Trump bucks. Like I cashed them. I bought a really cool planer with my Trump bucks and I bought a lot of booze with my Biden bucks. Like, <laughs> but it was all just fun money. Not like, using them at the same time, hopefully. Yeah. No, 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 I did actually, but you know, it's but like, you know, the, the, the people who it really helped were like my sister who was like, mm. I cleared some of my credit card bills. And yeah. if she had had to sign up for it, I would have pushed her to do it, but she might not have done it. So like, right. it needs to be these kind of like, how do we remove the barriers? How do we put the J and the B next to the names mm-hmm. of like every, letting every state do it? And then letting Jeb Bush just send in a room full of suits to steal the election in 2000. You know, we can... <laughs> Like, you know, there we we every day when new things are happening, because the 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 real naivete, I think, is that if you hear someone who is making plans who wants to improve society for the benefit of all, it is extremely childish to not imagine that the corollary exists as well. Mm. sociopathic vampires with money and power who are also sitting down and making plans Mm -hmm. because we see the evidence that they do it all around them i'm thinking about when amazon was having their union vote and someone Mm. did a freedom of information act request and they found the emails between amazon and the local post office and they Mm. said we would like a post box installed on the building of the warehouse and we would like the keys to it and the email response right away was like, that would be so federally illegal. No way, no how, Jose. No. And then and you can see a two-week pause in time. And then mm. there comes back an answer. Sure, we can do that. Mm. And, there, and they got one installed, and they had the keys to it. How much that interfered with the election, we don't know. But, like, mm. in my mind, I'm like, that two-week pause, I'm guessing that wasn't just a random overnight change of heart. There mm-hmm. were palms greased. Phone calls made, money and favors exchanged to change that answer. And I don't have the money to make those kind of changes at the political level. I doubt most of your listeners have that kind of money to like levy to change society around them. But some people do, and they do not have our interests at heart. They are benefiting from pitting us against each other. They are benefiting from creating insecurity, from making us not be able to say no to a job, to not having unemployment, to not having health care, to not having a way to take care of our children or our elderly relatives. This is good for their bottom line, for them and their dynasties to not have to work. They are called the capital class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have known of their existence at the, since the mid-1800s. It is time we get out our stakes and our mallets figuratively or proverbially you take your pick but the concept i think is germane because the jeff bezos and the zuckerbergs and the elon musks and the bill gates of the united states i see so little difference between the icelandic equivalents whose whose Mm. names are not going to mean much to your american viewers but if i were to describe their process in keeping power and entrenching their wealth, they would recognize it very well because it's the yeah. same recipe. They're just, you know, making a Betty Crocker. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, Check out with that, we are, we are going <laughs> to, we are going to say thank you. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there will be a lot of different reactions and uh, thoughts about Share this. Share them with me because since I don't have social media anymore, I might not 
might yeah. not see them. But yeah. Well, what I'll do is I'll encourage people who are listening on the podcast, if you go to allthingsiceland.com and look at this specific episode, in, yeah, okay. there's a comment section so they can put their comments I'll read there. and I will try <laughs> to respond. So if you have something you want to say, you want to ask more questions, I will be there yeah. in yes. the comments. And I will do my best to try and like, because I have to approve them just to keep out spam Gotcha. bots or whatever because that's always fun <laughs> like these random things trying to post on the website but at least there could be a potential for discussion there so thank you Scythood for kind of always interjecting many different types of topics into <laughs> that of like politics society culture and just gaining more insight in general so appreciate it well, I, and... you know I'm trying to give you some some content for your yeah your yeah thank you yeah. And good luck to the Socialist Party uh, on Saturday. I mean, it's, it is one of those things where I think it's just like a hotly anticipated time in Iceland, for sure. So many people participate. It's a very high level percentage of citizens that vote, which is I think is also really good. So can, can I add one tiny last thing? <laughs> yes. Important about what you said with. Um, so there's actually so the election is the 26th. Oh, OK. Yeah. No. Well, it's voting no. on the 25th. 25th, sorry. Yeah. But we will know the results on the 26th. Right. Yes. The collective agreement for Eplink, which has mm -hmm. 30,000 members. So keep in mind, Iceland is only 370,000 people. So 30,000 working age adults is a significant portion of the working population. And we share a common collective agreement between Eplink, the 30,000 people who work for them, which are mostly janitors, fish mm. and chicken processing, and cooks, and elderly homes. So these are the lowest paid, 80% female, highest amount of foreign-born mm. workers are in Eplink. Mm -hmm. Our contract run like can be voided up to the 30th. And so we had a meeting mm. about for the union reps, and the union boss said, the person who can cancel it, we are trying to meet with them, to gauge with them if this election is anything of consequence. Yeah. And the election is very likely going to influence whether they will cancel it or not. Because if they cancel wow. it, it will go back to negotiation. They risk having to approve a worse one. And mm. we risk having to approve a worse one. But they will then watch to see if the government ends up being much more right-wing it would be a beneficial time to cancel the agreement in order to get a more capital-friendly thumb on the scale against the lowest-wage, most female, most immigrant union. Versus yeah. if a center-left government wins the coalition, they would then risk that the government might, I think it's naive, but the government might come in and interfere for the benefit of the lowest-wage workers, which traditionally they have not. When Eppling mm. was on strike for the 80% female union, none of the female parliamentarians or like thought leaders in the feminist space came out in support of Solvig that I saw or for Eppling, mm. which I think to be like a legitimate feminist, like 80% female union, you better show up and echo it. Mm. But this four day period after the results of the election and the 30th as the limit of when they can cancel this contract is going to be a very hair-raising moment for me as someone whose who's money or salary and rights are tied on to this agreement 
but mm -hmm. I'm much more secure than most of the people who are going to be watching these results. Right. The election is a nail biter, not just to see who is going to be the government, but for the literal ability to pay bills, to wow. spend time with our children. Like the last labor struggle, we won four extra hours a week for a full time. So now mm -hmm. the full time week is 36 hours instead of 40. Yeah. So now I get which is so always been mislabeled as like a four day work week or something like that in the media. Well, like they sold ridiculous. it from different. You know, this even comes in deeper. Like the 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 bosses were sold that they're giving up their coffee time, the coffee breaks, to have a shorter work week. Right. And we were like, no, we just literally want to work less, and no, we should be paid more. Right, so yeah. like now we're trying to institute, and you have to vote for a workplace. But like these are real things. Like these are real affectations. It is actually right. possible to govern Democrats and win <laughs> rights for people where they get like more money or fifteen dollars minimum wage, or you actually fulfill any of your campaign promises. The union <laughs> has won these things. And so this four-day period is, like, very materially important wow. for the lowest wage, highest female, highest immigrant, uh, yeah. lar second largest union in the country. Good to know. Thank you. And I hope that works out well because, yeah, that's, I can see how that could be quite tense. <laughs> so thank you, Saito.